You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Good afternoon, everyone and everyone watching at home. It's good to, to be with you. And please grab your Bibles at home and here to, and turn with me to Joshua chapter 9. And as David's already hinted at, it's in some ways quite a humorous story, a very strange one, a very tragic one because, well, God's people aren't really listening to God or don't go look listening for God. And it's also a story that is very gracious too. And as David's already said, things are not always as they seem. Sure they're not. You know, we can look up uh, lovely photographs of lovely places you'd like to stay at, maybe on holiday. And then when you arrive, they forgot to tell you that all the cockroaches are at the bottom of your bed and so on. Or you might see, oh, you see a plate of food in front of you and think, that looks so good. And there's nothing that's disappointing and it's not good. So there's not, I'm not saying anything about Sarah's cooking, by the way. But of course, uh, earlier this week, in the last couple of weeks, uh, Man United were supposed to play Liverpool. And the game was called off because of the rioting. And what Liverpool did during the week was that they sent out a bus to go to Old Trafford. And it was stopped in the road by some fans. Meanwhile, as it was stopped, another bus was taking a different route to Old Trafford. They sent a decoy so that they would take that bus and not the other one. Things are not always as they seem. And we want to learn a couple of things as we turn to this passage today. And the first one is this. We need wisdom from God to discern truth from lies. We need wisdom to discern truth from all the lies. In Encounter, one of our games that we liked to play was Two Truths and a Lie. So you would give three statements about yourself and you'd have to decide which one of them was a lie. We'll not, we'll not do that this morning, but you, you get the idea, or you hear a story, and you know you have to take it with a pinch of salt, because, well, you just some things just don't quite add up. And while we need wisdom, Israel needed wisdom to discern truth from all the lies. And in verses 3 to 15, we do see a really elaborate scheme, don't we? It's, it's a scheme that's really inventive in many ways, isn't it? You'll remember in the Old Testament, in Genesis, Jacob, he tricks his father Isaac. How? Well, because he puts on goat skin to get the father's blessing because, well, Esau was hairy, Jacob was not. So to trick his dad, he put on some goat skin. He went to a lot of effort. To, he, he dressed up. And verses 4 and 5, you see there's, there's a bit of thought goes into this, isn't there? There's thought goes into it. We're told, well, in my version, that they're cunning. They're sly, they're sneaky. They take all these provisions they were, their old duds as it were. They put on their, their old worn out sandals. They patch them up to make them look like they're old. They, they dress up. They dress up to, to try and give the impression that they're for real. They're really from someone far, somewhere far away. And in verse 6, they then meet Joshua. And what they say, well, we know it to be lies, but well, Joshua and the men listening, maybe not so much. They meet Joshua and say, we're from a distant country. Now make peace with us. Make a covenant with us. But already in the verse 7, we get a little bit of an insight for the, the writer writing this for us that it's not really what it is. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you live among us. The Hivites were a list of names given in Joshua 3 that were to be wiped out. The Hivites were people living in Canaan that needed to be destroyed. And they're questioning, are you one of them? You see, they're kind of there, aren't they? Are you one of them? 
And Joshua, he is not really happy with their answers, and he questions, where are you from? Where are you really from? And their answer, we're from far, far away. That's some country, that, isn't it? Far, far away. They don't give any details at all, sure they don't. Uh, and they give a, a kind of vague answer. They don't give the whole truth either, sure they don't. So we come from a distant country. We've heard about the, the Lord your God. We've heard the report of Egypt and the Amorite kings. And they stop. They don't mention Jericho or Ai. Why? Well, news takes a long time to travel, doesn't it? They're from so far, far away, they wouldn't have heard the news yet. Or at least that's what they're letting on. But if you look at verse 3, they knew. They knew exactly what had happened. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they knew this news, but they just dropped it off. They, dropped it. they fell out of their mind, I suppose you could say, when they were talking to Joshua. They were sly, they were cunning. It really is an elaborate scheme. They don't tell the whole truth. And it seems, although Rahab's words are very similar, hers comes from a genuine heart. And we saw that in the passage as we looked at her, her kindness that, that is portrayed in that as well. Here they're really sly and cunning. It's almost as if they drop in God into the conversation to make it a little bit more convincing. They drop in a little bit of spiritual chat to make them believable. And as we think about this, that's our, 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 our first bit of application. Because what convinces Israel, whenever they hear all the stories and stuff, they get a little bit of spiritual chat. But what puts them over the edge and believing these guys in verse 14 is taking a sample of the moldy bread. I wouldn't fancy doing the taster in that one. That's what they do, and that's what convinces them. And our first bit of application is that don't deceive with spiritual chat. Don't deceive with spiritual chat. It might be you're talking to a minister or one of us, an elder, a family member, another Christian, and just to get them off your back, you go, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I, I go to church. Oh, the man above. Oh, I stand up for the faith in church. I, I never miss. I'm involved in it all so much. A little bit of spiritual chat to deceive people. And as you deceive others, you're often deceiving yourself, aren't you? Because you're justifying what you're doing. Don't deceive yourself or others simply by coming to church, being involved in just a little sprinkle of spiritual chat to get people off your case. That's what you think you're doing, but you're deceiving yourself and others. It's all about faith in Jesus. It's not about sprinkling a bit of spiritual chat to get people off your back. The bottom line is it's about faith in Jesus. And do you have it or not? Not just wiping people off with a, a generic comment or something. Don't deceive with a little spiritual chat. A lot of people do it. A lot of people do it very, very well. And the next one is this. We need wisdom to discern what we see and hear. Joshua uh, and his, his men, his elders here, they, they see the clothes before them. They hear the words that are being spoken to them, but they just lack that little bit of wisdom, don't they? And we need to be, to be careful, too, in discerning wisdom, what we see and what we hear. Your very first, my very first day teaching in school, you can imagine a very nervous 22-year-old, ever I was, stand before his first class, and you ask for the kids' names, and inevitably, in every class, isn't there, there's a really smart guy, and he's like, Go around, what's your name? What's your name? Go, I'm Norman. 
and then you hear this wee snigger. Of course his name is not Norman, and little do they know you have the, the whole system of their picture and their date of birth, everything, any information you ever want about them, and they're trying to just get one over on you, trying to deceive you, trying, and it takes a wee, a wee bit of wisdom. You can go bite on that, you know, you lose the whole thing, it could be a disaster. And we need wisdom to discern what we see and what we hear. Where do we need to be careful in our lives? Well, generally in the world, doesn't the world say, whatever you think is best for you, whatever makes you feel best, don't worry about anybody else. Whatever makes you feel best or makes you feel better, do that. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It's not wise. We need to be wise in what we see and hear online and the videos we watch. Should we watch certain things or not? Engaging with the words that are being said, not just being wrapped up with them, but to discern whether they are true or false, truth or lies. Whether it be a mute or people that we listen to, we love to listen to on podcasts or books that we read, things that people say and write, maybe they sprinkle enough spiritual chat to deceive you. Do you need wisdom to see and to hear and to discern what is truth and what is not from the music we listen to? Secular music, yeah, we all know that will warp our minds and change expectations, a reliability of this world. But Christian music too, of good theology or bad theology or probably just none at all. We need to be discerning in what we see and what we hear because that's what Joshua and his people aren't good at. They're so close so often, aren't they? Where are you from? Tell me again. Well, let me take a sample of that bread. They, it seems like they have a niggling doubt they just lack that little bit of wisdom. What does James say in chapter 1, in verse 5? James writes this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. It will be given them. Where do we get wisdom? It's not in endless self-help books or comic books, essentially magazines or online or books, whatever it is. Wisdom is not from experience. It's from God. Wisdom is from God, and that is who we are to ask for wisdom. And that's what Joshua doesn't do, isn't it? Joshua and all are suspicious at just the right moments that they lack wisdom. And well, why do they lack wisdom? Because <clears throat> they don't consult with God. We need to ask or consult with the Lord in our decision-making. If you make a big decision about moving house or buying a car or what university you might go to or what company you'd like to work for, you do a little bit of research, don't you? You try and figure out what the plan is going forward. You might see what opportunities there are in the prospectus. There was the graduate percentage scheme that end up in jobs or different. You go to, you ask people about it and you take into consideration what they say. In the big decisions, you will do that. But here Joshua has a people before him, and well, verse 14 says, they did not ask of the Lord. They did not ask counsel from the Lord, in verse 14. Now, what that would have looked like, it might have been casting lots, because that was established in the Old Testament, wasn't it? It might have been going to the tabernacle. But how often in Joshua already have we heard, and the Lord said, and the Lord said, Whenever the people were patient and the Lord spoke, or the Lord said, the Lord could well have spoken to Joshua. He took time aside and asked the Lord, but he was impatient. And if only they had been patient for just three days, 
three days, we're told there that they, they know, they have heard. How they've heard, maybe they've heard in messengers and bringing other news, but they've heard that they've been deceived. These Gibeonites aren't who they say they are. They only were patient. We're really bad at being patient too, aren't we? We love to make decisions right there and then. But the people of Israel, when they hear this news, that this isn't who they said they were, their response in the end of verse 18, really that the elders had to calm everybody down. Why? Because the Gibeonites were one of these people that they were to kill, to remove, to obey God, but here they they have to to, to resist that. All the congregation murmured or or muttered or grumbled against the leaders. Why? Because they wanted to do what God wanted them to do, but they couldn't do it. Why? Why did Israel have to defend them and say, let them live? It's because of this oath. This oath that was binding, a binding contract because they used God's name. An oath that cannot be broken. Joshua, although he makes a mistake, he doesn't make another mistake. Two rights don't make a wrong. He says, yes, we shouldn't have done that oath, but we can't break our word in this one. There will be consequences if we break this oath with the Gibeonites. And we see that much, much later on in in the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel, during the reign of King David, there are three years of famine, and year after year, David inquires the Lord as to why. And what's the reason God gives him? It's because Saul killed the Gibeonites. So that was even before David's reign, but David is suffering from the consequences of that. And, and to, to sort that problem out, Saul's sons, seven of his sons, have to, have to be killed. See, this oath cannot be broken. And when it is, there's consequences to it. There's a problem. They have people before them, but they make the oath anyway, but the people before them, Joshua and the elders, what did they think? They thought, I got this, or we've got this. They don't see it as a problem. They see see it as a very straightforward scenario. They've got this. They didn't consult with the Lord, but they needed to. And we need to consult with the Lord. And how do we do that? We consult with the Lord through his revealed word, don't we? Through the scriptures, the pages of scriptures before us and and through prayer. In God's word, it reveals to us our, our lifestyle choices, what they should actually look like in our greed and in our giving. What does God's word say? In the relationships with our, our family, do I really have to discipline my children? Do I have to? Can I just let them off with it? What does God's word say? Teens, do I have to really obey my parents? I really don't want to. You do. What does God's word say? Do I seek to please man, myself, or, or God? What does God's word have to say about that? Do I really have to have the hassle of coming to church every Sunday when I can, trying to grab everybody together? What does God's word say about that? We need to consult with the Lord in every part of our life, in our relationships, in deciding who we go out with, who we end up marrying, in our family, in our work, in our, our playtime, as it were our social media, our screen time, our spiritual life, there's not a part of life that God's Word does not speak. There's not a part of life that God's Word does not reach into our situation. Yeah, it doesn't talk about iPhones, but there's principles that can be applied. Can't there be? Don't lust. Then we don't watch certain videos. For example, of one of many. 
There's not an area of life that God's Word does not reach. We can be very foolish and prideful in our thinking, can't we? Quick to act, not very patient, and say, I've got this. Joshua and his men think they're making a very simple decision, one that doesn't require any thinking. And how often do we make that decision too? Do we really think about any decision that we make in light of God's Word? Do we consult God no matter how small or big it might be? Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we only end up consulting God, only asking Lord for help whenever things go wrong, whenever we say, "Uh uh-uh, I don't got this. Often it's only then, whenever we are humbled and realize we can't do it ourselves. Only when we are humbled do we decide to consult with the Lord. But despite Joshua and the elders, their failure to consult with the Lord, the lack of wisdom that we have, and they certainly had too, despite it all, there is hope for God's people. We have hope as God's people. This deception is discovered, and Joshua in verses 24 and 25, he wants to go, why? Why did you do this to us? And what's, his, what's their response? They answered Joshua, because it was told to your servants, so the Gibeonites have said, we'll be your servants. It was told to your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land, destroy all the inhabitants, all the land before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. They are fearful of God and God's people. That is why they, they act cunningly. They don't want to have God's wrath, as it were, upon them. They know that they're doomed for defeat. As the other armies get ready for battle, they decide to go another way to avoid it. And they say to Joshua, Joshua, do what you see is fit. In other words, Joshua, do what your Lord would see fit. Joshua is not going to make that same mistake. Joshua, we're told, is going to, in verse 26, so he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of his people Israel, and they did not kill them. Joshua delivered the Gibeonites. Joshua saves the Gibeonites. What does his name mean, Joshua? Jehovah is salvation. Here, the one and only time in the whole book of Joshua, Joshua saves people. The one and only time Joshua is solely responsible for saving these people. And they're the Gibeonites. These liars, deceivers, cheaters, these really cunning people. Joshua saves them from cause people Israel who are rightly angered who know that they should have killed them, but yet God's grace extends to them. See, the Gibeonites, they become servants. They work in the altar. They cut the wood. It seems really insignificant and small. But as Israel conquers the land, as Israel has good kings and bad kings, whenever Israel goes off to exile, whenever Israel comes back and they're rebuilding Jerusalem, in Nehemiah, do you know who's helping build Jerusalem? the Gibeonites. Men of the Gibeonites are helping build Jerusalem. They are grafted in as one of God's people. These liars, cheaters, deceivers are brought into God's people, God's family. They help rebuild it. How? Why? Because of God's grace. Liars, cheaters, deceivers brought into God's family. Does that remind you of anybody? 
Reminds me of me. Liar, cheater, deceiver, brought in Jesus. It is reflection of what Jesus does for us, isn't it? He takes sinners, liars, cheaters, deceivers, and makes them servants and God's people. Of His grace, we deserve to be wiped out. But by God's grace, He brings us in. The Gibeonites, they join under false pretenses. They have other motives behind going to Israel. And sometimes people in church have those other motives too, don't you? You want to go to church because that's what you always did, or to please your parents, or to please another member of your family. But it's all about Jesus. You go to church to have a profession of faith in Jesus. Not to deceive and have enough spiritual chat and to appear spiritual, but it's all about Jesus and having faith in Him. Because He is the fount of all wisdom and knowledge. We have hope as God's people. The Gibeonites end up as God's people. Israel are not punished for, uh, for being deceived here too much, are they? They go about their business in the next scene, chapter 10. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Christ the power and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Christ, the power and the wisdom of God. God's wisdom is not what you would expect, is it? Jesus, a man, the one who's going to come and save the world, does not go off in victory, but looks to the cross in all of its weakness. God's wisdom is not what you would expect. Jesus, in all of his weakness, it seems utterly foolish in the world's eyes, doesn't it? It doesn't make any sense to us, but we are not God. Paul says that the cross is wisdom. It is wisdom utterly flipped on its head. Christ appears weak, yet he is infinitely strong. The cross seems so foolish and contradictory and weak and useless, yet it is wise and powerful to those who believe. Jesus is the wisdom from God. Jesus is the, the one that we need to constantly go to and to turn to. In all of our decision-making, it would be wise to turn to God. Christ is the power and the wisdom. In human eyes, it might not be the case. We know that in the world, don't we? The world doesn't see Jesus as the wisdom of God, yet he is. Salvation was not done in the Gibeonites' deception by the Gibeonites themselves, but by another, Joshua. Yahweh is salvation for God's people. Salvation is not in us, but it's in God and Jesus. His triumph over sin on the cross. Jesus is wisdom. The cross is not foolish, but incredibly wise. And are we wise or are we really foolish? What do I mean? Are we wise in trusting Jesus? Or are we foolish in following the world? Be wise and trust in Christ crucified. 